Each year, more than 12 million people will hear the same three devastating words. You have cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein, a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer and stage four colon cancer. My amazing wife, Linda, has taught me that we have cancer because every one of us is affected by it in some way. Survivors, family, friends, and medical and support team members. And we all have a story worth telling. Welcome to We Have Cancer. Welcome to episode 142 of We Have Cancer. Thank you so much for joining us for the first episode of 2020. A happy new year to everyone. My guest this week is Maureen Famiano, and I'm really excited to have Maureen on the show, mainly because she's a friend of mine, and she and I uh, met up at the local Florida Podcasters Association meeting, uh, where I'm a regular attendee. That session takes place uh, monthly in uh, Tampa, Florida, where I work, not far from my home, and the chance to interview a friend who, like myself, is a cultural cancer uh, survivor. Maureen was first diagnosed in 2010 with uh, colorectal cancer and was treated the exact same cancer center where I'm treated. As a matter of fact, as you're listening to this, it's time for my my next scan, which if you're listening to this, the day this episode comes out uh, on Tuesday the 14th, I'll be getting those results tomorrow. So I appreciate any good vibes you can send my way. But yes, Maureen and I both receiving treatment at the Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa, Florida. So it was wonderful to uh, bring a friend on the show and hear her talk about her experience over the last going on 10 years now as a colon cancer survivor. And she talked a lot about advocating, uh, advocating for her treatment, for what she felt was best for her and best for her family and her lifestyle. So join me now for my conversation with Maureen Famiano. Maureen, welcome to We Have Cancer. It's not often that I get to interview somebody I know and somebody local and where we, so you're not the first for that, but you are my first guest who's been treated at the same cancer center as I have, the Moffitt Cancer Center in uh, in Tampa. So, so we've got a lot in common. We're, you know, the podcasting bond, but where I wanted to start was you, there was a, a comment you made in our communication back and forth and it just really stuck with me. And it was, you said, I'm still here for a reason. And it's been over nine years since you were diagnosed with colon cancer. What is that reason, do you think? Well, Lee, nice to talk to you in this venue. Congratulations on all the amazing work you're doing, helping people in this journey, in this club we didn't plan to be <laughs> in, but we're here. And and congratulations on your battle too. All the best as you continue forward. Thank you. We got a good report last week. So happy about that. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And we had, you know, a nice conversation recently sharing stories. And and what I guess I mean with I'm still here is I think I'm supposed to be here to share my story, to help others realize they can battle, they can, they can be a warrior through this and ask the questions don't settle. Don't take a 
a surgeon, a medical professional's guidance per se as the end all. Keep asking those questions. Be your own advocate. Advocacy is so critical in this fight. And I became my own advocate. My background is journalism and ask anybody. I ask lots of questions. Well, in this case, these were life-saving critical questions that I had to ask. And, and I ask them and I ask a lot of them. And the surgeon teams at different points in my journey would be like, oh boy, here she goes again. But then they were prepared because they knew I wasn't going to ask one and be done. And I tell people that ask the questions. It's your journey. It's your life. Don't be afraid to ask. What were some of the questions that you asked that you really were glad that you did? Well, a couple. Let's go back to the original diagnosis. When it was first diagnosed in 2010, I was noticing something and and I was busy, you know, raising two small kids, busy with their sporting activities in school and my busy career that I don't really have time for me. You know, as moms, you know, we we do everybody else, not not us. So when I had to make the call to the doctor, I'm like, hi, I know you don't really know me, but um, there's something going on and I don't really know what it is. And I'm sure it's nothing asking the right questions. And then they having to refer me because they couldn't find anything in the office and then getting the diagnosis when they found the tumor after a colonoscopy earlier than the 50 year old, you know, that's when you should get your screening. I was 45 and coming out of it and then seeing what they found in the images. And I was like, that's not good. Whatever that is, that's certainly not good. So asking the questions, who, who were the surgeons in, in the community? What does the prognosis look like? Uh, what, what does the plan look like? I wasn't planning on going down this road. And then, then the changes happen. You know, you were at Moffitt too. I was getting different opinions. You know, I tell people get a couple of opinions, you know, not just one, obviously, but I got three. And in the end it changed. And Moffitt was like, nope, you need to do surgery first. And then that was the path. The other path was going chemo first, shrinking it and then going in for surgery. And that changed within a two day period. It went to the, the surgery and, and I had hoped that was going to be it. And off to the races to the next phase of my life without it. Well, six weeks later, as I come in recovering from your abdomen surgery, where you know you lift, you you smile, you laugh, you walk, everything's your belly. I'm like, okay, I got through that. I'm I'm good. And they're like, well, not really. It spread to the lymph nodes, and you have to figure out, you know, what you want to do next. I'm like, next, as in, what does that look like? You know, it's not a journey or questions you normally ask. However when you get this sort of diagnosis, you start doing all kinds of research. So that meant for me, I decided on an aggressive treatment plan, which meant chemo and radiation. And how did that look? And what did that mean? And, and lots of questions there. Uh, It's a journey of questions and ask the questions. It's so common to hear from people, Maureen, who are, for lack of a better word, deferential to their doctors and you know, they're the doctor. So I don't question and I do whatever they tell me. You didn't go down that path. And I imagine part of that is because that's kind of how you are and that's in your DNA. But there are people who I'm sure are listening to what you're saying, who just the thought of questioning a doctor might be a little uncomfortable for them. You're probably right. And I didn't mean any disrespect. And and I knew I could tell, I ask in a, in a, you know, conversational way, as conversational as you can get when you're diagnosed with cancer. But 
I asked a lot of questions. My husband didn't know the questions to ask. My mother, who was an oncology nurse uh, in upstate New York, was there, but, but I guided my path. And as I look more recently about my journey, and writing a book about it now, I'm in the process of beginning that journey, to share and help people get through the journey themselves. With my background in media and being a producer and an executive producer, I'm thinking it was almost like I was producing my journey of, of treatment, asking the questions, not settling. And to your question a minute ago, Lee, about how did you ask questions? Let's fast forward only for a minute because I had some complications two, three and two years ago, which took me down a different path. And, and the path was a challenging one. And I got four opinions. And that fourth opinion was the one that led me to my current situation, which I, again, I don't want to get ahead for you, but that was not settling, not for two or three opinions, but going for the fourth opinion, which ended up working out. And that could have been a whole different lifestyle, a whole different life. But I kept pressing if there was a way to try something and give it a shot, what have I got to lose? Because there's no going back. And you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about an ileostomy. Right. So that that's a major life decision unto itself. Talk about what your options were and how you weighed those options and what you finally decided on and why. Sure. So when you get through, for me, it was a year-long journey of the, the surgery and then the chemo and the radiation and then the chemo after. It was about a year. Then you go for your follow-ups. So for the first four or five years for my follow-ups, every six months for a colonoscopy, it was fine. It was that sixth year that the challenges came. The polyps returned with a vengeance after a clean slate one year and then not clean the next year. And it was not good. And they said, well, and I knew going in for surgery nine years, you know, nine years ago now that that was an option then, but, but they were able to save a, a good chunk of my colon that I didn't need an ileostomy. And when this new situation started happening three years ago, I'm like, well, there are polyps. There are a lot of them, 20, but just, you know, remove them. So a surgeon at that time did. And I was like, great, like, oh my goodness, but great. Then the next year they came back again, that more 22. And I'm like, did you miss them last time? Like, like what, how could that many come back? And for people who are listening, polyps take a long time to form. It's not an overnight situation or a, over a year. So they said, we can't do that anymore. There's too much scar tissue and, and you could essentially bleed out in the operating room. I was like, wow. well, that's not a good choice. Mm. And it was sobering. And I remember the doctor looking me in the eyes and he said, I would not let you do that if you were my wife, my sister, my mother, anybody that I cared about. And I can't let you let me do that. And I won't do that. So I, it made me like stop and pause, which is hard for me to do, but I had to. Then I had to figure out my choice. What I was facing was the ileostomy. It was having a bag because my colon had to be removed because that was the vessel where the cancer potential, not cancer yet, but the cancer potential was forming. So it had to be removed. So what that looked like was having a bag. And I was like, having a bag? I mean, and so many people do it and they're amazing and they live a, a good, valuable, awesome life. But I, 
wanted to see if there was something else I could do before that was the end result. And it was the fourth surgeon who said, we can try something. And, and it was relationships that I had in the Tampa Bay community that I had reached out to a surgeon friend of mine sharing this news. She had reached out to somebody and it's all about relationships and sharing and, and being brave and sharing only because that sharing got me this information with a surgeon who was willing to take the chance. And I said, that's all I'm asking for is just, if it, the end could be the same, but if it's not, then we have a shot at not having a full bag. So I had a bag for six months. And during that time, I did a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff on television and behind the scenes and red carpet things. No one would ever know. All the healing was going on in inside my body. And then when six months later came and they did the reversal and I was so thankful that it worked. And to this day, I just am thankful that I pressed it, knowing it might not work, but I, I, I said, let's try it. And it worked. So they did a J pouch? They did. Okay. And you're happy with the results? I am. Interesting. Yep. Yeah. I eat a lot of bananas. <laughs> I do some other things to keep my fiber content. You know, burgers are not really in my, my diet anymore. Pizza's not, you know, a lot of greasy food. Nope. But you know what? I can do anything I want to do. And I, and I did it before even with my pouch or my, my um, ileostomy. And I can appreciate both sides because I've been there and I've helped people in the journey of making the decision and what they have to do. And to your question earlier about, I'm still here and I'm here because I think the man upstairs wants me to help people remain positive. And I was positive throughout this journey um, to help people understand that you can fight the fight, um, ask the questions and, and look where I am trying to talk to people. And I tell people, you know, all throughout the journey here, if you have anybody in this lane, call me. Absolutely. Because people want to help. But if they don't know because they haven't walked in our shoes, they can try as much as they can, but they don't know the full journey. And, and I'm more than willing to talk to anybody because who knows that little bit of hope, that guidance that I can relate to you may help them ask the different question or, you know, just, just believe they can, they can be, get through it. I want to dig into that further, but I haven't had the opportunity, Maureen, to interview, you know, background of our podcast was, you know, for the first three plus years, it was the colon cancer podcast. And that's strictly who we talked to in, in our interviews and, and with the rebrand about a year and a half ago, early in 2018, we've opened it up to everybody, which is, you know, certainly was the right decision, but in our conversations with uh, folks who have had to explore the options, ostomy, reversal. I haven't had the chance to speak to many people who actually went the J pouch route. So I'd like to just dig into that a little bit as a way to inform those who may be facing that decision themselves. What has going that route, how has that impacted your lifestyle? You, you touched a little bit about diet changes, but talk a little bit more about, you know, the process of adjusting your life to your new body and, and some of the changes that you learned you had to make and why. Sure. 
Well, when I was facing this pouch and ileostomy, I did research in what that would mean and, and how that looked and and the people who are in that lifestyle now, not by choice, are amazing and fighters and, and warriors. And I went to a uh, a meeting about it because I couldn't eat right with my with my ileostomy. I, I lost weight and I couldn't find the right nutrition balance. And I found people at a local help group that a lot of people were losing. And I was maybe a quick visitor because my hope and the doctor's hope was to reverse it. But even during that time, and I'm getting to your question, but even during that time, I went just for help in, in how do I eat and how do I get nutrition with my ileostomy. And I found so much sadness and disappointment and they gave up because people gave up on them. Mm. And that was so disheartening to me because after the procedure was done, you know, they were like discarded. By the time they got to me, having shared their stories, I was so incensed that these viable people in our community and just worthwhile, amazing people had given up on the other side of cancer, on the other side of an ileostomy or ostomy or whatever their situation was. That was so wrong. So I went around the table sort of like, you are vibrant and you matter and you have to change surgeons and you need to find a better wound care nurse because it was just so maddening that I'm like, I got nothing next because my, my questions didn't matter to me because it was so minor eating. Move forward to after the ileostomy was reversed and I was so thankful that it did work. All the tests looked like it could work and it did. What it looks like now, bananas are my friend. I begin each day with a banana to get my fiber going. I have a special powder drink that I take before every meal and, and I have to be, be careful of what I eat all day long. If I know I want to cheat a little bit and have something a little bit more greasy than I really should, I know it's going to I'm pay back in about five hours. <laughs> so I have to take some Imodium because I have to, it's part of my, it's not, it's, I, it's kind of my vitamin, I guess. <laughs> and I take it several times a day. I know what to eat, I know how to eat, and I know what I can't eat. And and that's what it looks like. I can do anything now that anybody else can. And no one would ever know. I mean, what does cancer look like? Before, after, during, right. you know? It, no one knows and no one, people that worked with me knew because I was going through it. I'd have my chemo pack on, going, you know, get my chemo on a Wednesday, have a 48 hour drip, go back after work on Friday, have it taken out, recover over the weekend, get a little you know, sluggish, making it be the weekend recovery, and then back to work. You know, it's what you have to do because I had kids. I got to fight this fight and I did it. And, and I hope people know they can fight it and be positive and, and ask the questions. I'm here. Look at me. If I can do it, you can do it. Be sure to stick around to the end of this episode to learn how you can get your rear in gear. What kind of reaction did you get from some of your doctors when you challenged or questioned uh, some of their suggestions? Well, now you're actually making me rethink me asking them. <laughs> to me, I wasn't 
disrespectful. Oh, I was no, just, no. it's my sure, body. Sure. No, no, no. I know my surgeon at, at Moffitt, he was funny. He called me superwoman. <laughs> and I told him going in for surgery because it, you know, it's a, it's a learning facility and a lot of students are there. And I looked him in the eye and I said, okay, here we go. Eye to eye. I said, I want you cutting me. I don't want any of these other people cutting me. I want you cutting me. And I guess I made enough of a little bit of a stink that I remember afterwards, surgery went really well nine years ago. And afterwards in recovery, it was one of the, the assistants, if you will, the, the, you know, the assistant surgeons. And he was like ready to answer my question, I guess, thinking I was going to ask like, who did it? And he's like, just to let you know, the surgeon did this, but I, I, I finished it up. So it was kind of funny. I still remember it so vividly. I was like, okay. <laughs> um, and I know with the surgeon that I wanted to remove the the additional polyps one year later, he was just very, very matter of fact. And, and they can get my style of asking questions and asking lots of questions that that they, I think, know that they've got to a- answer the questions that I'm asking them. And I'm asking the questions because it's about my body with the surgeon that did this procedure when I said, look, I'm a pretty strong stock here. Don't tell me you can do something if you can't, because I've been down this road so far. But he looked me in the eye and he said, I wouldn't tell you we should try it if we shouldn't. Okay. I'm willing to try it knowing it's not, you know, 100%. We'll see what we do. So afterwards when, you know, it was able to be reversed and they had taken you know, lymph nodes out and they didn't find anything. They were as happy as I was. And it was just like, <sighs> it was just amazing. And th- I was thankful and I felt blessed and just, you know, all of that in one fell swoop. So what was the reaction, you know, after going for a number of years with a, you know, all clear, all clean report? you know, when all of a sudden you had all of these polyps suddenly show up, you know, you go from that, you know, wiping your hands, I'm done, I'm finished, I'm on with my life. And then you get this news. It was shocking because I was done. I did it. You know, you hit hit that five-year mark and you're like, I'm good to go. See ya. Not so fast. And I was like, are you kidding me? So that was sobering. And it was sobering even more so because when that happened, my mother had passed. And so now I didn't have, you know, my mom at my side to just be there for moral support. And it was a journey that I was taking by myself. And and I do my own thing anyway, but it was now no one to, you know, reflect on. And she was a breast cancer survivor and I was a colon cancer survivor. And then now this. So it was just, again, me asking all the questions that I needed to ask and, and being my own advocate. And I, I said that from day one after Moffitt, be your own advocate, ask the questions. And, and I asked enough questions that I ended up getting the answer that I needed. And I'm still here. Does that setback, has that altered how you look ahead now? Not really. I look at it as the vessel that the problem was is gone. Now, meanwhile, I'm aware that that doesn't mean everything. So, you know, you still have to go back for checkups and I'm due, but I wanted a little bit of a respite, but no, it just helps me appreciate as you do every day, every day, every day, 
look at everything as a blessing, you know, say hi to the stranger, like somebody's shoes, you know, look at the sunrise, look at the sunset. I do it every day and I mean it. I don't look at it because looking at it, I love it. We're only here for a little bit of time and every day we have to make it matter for us, for people that we run into, for people that we want to, you know, help. I, I talked to somebody the other day about different scenarios that I had gone through and I sent her a picture of what I was taking, the powder that I'm drinking. And I said, you should, she ha is in the situation that I was in. And I said, you know, ask your doctor for this, that could help you. And she had never heard of it. So it's just those little things that we have to help each other find those new little nuggets of things that could help make it better. So always, anytime, anywhere. That's why I'm here. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. Right. It's, it's like you said, when we began, it's the club that nobody wants to be a part of, but once you are, it is a club. And you know, when you're in a club that has a purpose and that you have a deep connection with the other members, you want to go out of your way to, to help and support. Right. Absolutely. And what I think it's interesting too, Lee, is when I was at Moffitt getting ready for chemo treatments, I would wear colorful clothes and be pretty happy because I just am, you know, people would come sometimes to sit with me and, you know, friends did that. My mother did that, my husband, but I said, don't waste four hours. You've got plenty of other things to do. I'll just, it'll be fine. I'll bring my stuff and, you know, be fine. That people would talk to me in the waiting room and thinking that, you know, somebody who's, you know, 80 or 90 is going to be coming around the corner because certainly I'm there with them. And then they look down at my medical band and so many times I saw their like utter, like, wait a minute, it's you. They didn't say that, but their face said that. And I'm just like, again, what does cancer look like? There's no definition. And then they, it was almost kind of funny. They, I kind of helped them get through that awkward moment. And I'm like, yeah, it's me. And they were like, well, how are you seeming okay? I'm like, but what am I supposed to do otherwise? <laughs> you know, be morose and sad. No, we got to fight this. Well, then they would say, well, can I get next to her chair in the, in the treatment area? <laughs> they wanted to continue the conversation. So it was kind of funny. Um from time to time, uh, making sure. friends. And I've heard that comment and, and, you know, people don't know what to say and that's a whole nother topic, but you know, so many times I get the, well, you look great comment, right? Well, right. again, what is that supposed to look like? And it, and it goes back to the, and the problem with that comment is an assumption that any illness is visible. Right. So if we see somebody park in the handicapped spot and they don't come out with a wheelchair, a cane or a walker, then they must be cheating. Right. Because I don't see an illness. And and that's so unfair. It's so unfair. Right. You're absolutely right. And the thing I would say for that is people can't see it is I remember going to my kids games during one of my chemo rounds and, you know, struggling, not being my normal energizer bunny self, but taking my pace down a little bit, getting to the field, sitting in the stands and peripherally, I noticed one of their friends kind of, you know, you feel when somebody's looking right. at you and I noticed one of their friends kind of looking at me and I'm thinking, you know what? He's probably thinking, I heard she's ill. I heard she's, you know, has cancer, but look at her. She doesn't look terrible. So in that regard, I'm thinking if I can help a kid's memory of, I remember somebody, a friend of mine 
his mom who had cancer and she looked okay, if they go down that path, hopefully they'll think maybe I can be okay. Maybe I can get through right, it. Right. Uh, yeah. Then that's the other side of it. Right. So I try not to get too hung up on the, on the details of that, but I think it is important that we do what we can to eliminate the, you know, the belief that every illness, every disability is, is visible. But at the same time, I can see how it can also be inspirational, you know, to someone too. But you're right about, you know, it's internal. You don't know. But with that, though, I tell people, and I'm sure you do too, look for your body's signs. You know, if you have a broken arm, you know, you have a, you have a hurt arm. You can't do something. But if your body gives you signs, you've got to listen to your signs. No one knows your body better than you do. So look for the signs, pay attention, and go and don't delay. Well, because delaying takes you a different path. What was the symptom that prompted you to call your doctor? Well, I'm Italian by marriage now. We eat a lot of red sauce and pizza and stuff before. Well, I was noticing blood in the stool. And I'm like, really? Hmm. Okay, well, that's because we ate something last night. And then I noticed it intentionally when we hadn't. I'm like, hmm, there it is again. And I waited because I was too busy. And I'm like, it's nothing. I'm sure it's nothing. And then I went and it was not nothing. It was something. So I shared with my colleagues in the media and friends, go check, look, ask, don't wait. Never any pain. I know. I didn't have any symptoms at all. I was just, Hey, you're 50, go get a colonoscopy. And I'm really grateful. And I know you are too, that now the screening age is 45. It really should be 40, but that's another topic for another day. But, uh, you know, here you had, you had blood, but no pain. I I didn't have anything. So, so two lessons here, don't ignore a symptom and don't wait for a symptom either. If you don't have a symptom and you either a have a family history or B big five, Oh, it's, it's time. It's time. Right. And for people, wouldn't you agree Lee for people who are like, Oh, I don't like the prep. I'm like, really? The yeah, others chemo, chemo is a lot worse Trust than me. prep for a colonoscopy. Trust me. Lot worse. Trust me. Yep. Yes. This is, it's, it's not even a contest. So if, yeah. Not so enough. you want to spend a few hours uh, in the bathroom versus Wednesday through Sunday, every other week for six months going through chemo. Trust me. If you're not sure, which is, which is worse, get a hold of me, get a hold of Maureen. <laughs> Yeah, trust us. Speaking of which, people wanted to reach out to you. Is there a place online that they can find you? Sure. I'm very active on my Facebook page. It's Maureen Famiano. I'm very active there. And I have my website in mefmedia.com. And, you know, leave me a message. I'll reach out if I can help. And you can do it. If you're battling this fight, believe, do it. You can do it. Yes, you can. You've heard it from a nine-year survivor and an eight-and-a-half-year survivor. So there you go. <laughs> Maureen, yeah. I really appreciate the time, appreciate our friendship, and I appreciate you seeking me out in that Florida Podcasters Association meeting, grabbing me and saying, hey, <laughs> we need to talk. And I'm glad it resulted in, in you being able to, to come on the show and share your story. So thank you for that. Well, thank you very much and continued success. You're doing an amazing job. Thank you. Be well. 
Colon Cancer Coalition's slate of Get Your Rear and Gear events ramps back up again starting next month with the first event taking place on Sunday, February 23rd in Tucson, Arizona at Omni Tucson National Resort. The following weekend, the 5K Run Walk and Kids Fun Run event finds its way to Austin, Texas at Camp Mabry. This is at Texas National Guard. On Sunday, March 1st in San Antonio, Texas at Morgan's Wonderland. On Saturday, March 7th, we have a number of Get Your Rear and Gear events taking place. The 5K Run Walk event taking place in Raleigh, North Carolina at Wake Med Soccer Park, as well as in Savannah, Georgia at 225 Candler Drive. There is another Get Your Rear and Gear event. This is the Runs for Buns Ski Event, which is taking place at the Beach Mountain Ski Resort. Proceeds for this and all other Get Your Rear and Gear events go to benefit the Colon Cancer Coalition. You can learn more about these events by visiting their website at coloncancercoalition.org. Thank you for listening to We Have Cancer, and thank you to our sponsor, the Colon Cancer Coalition, for your support. You can subscribe to We Have Cancer by visiting Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or Spotify. And you can find us on social media by visiting our Facebook page at We Have Cancer Show and at We Have Cancer Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. We Have Cancer is a proud supporter of Genie's Blue Angels, providing financial support to those affected by colorectal cancer.